The Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume 1, Section 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Volume 1 of The Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, translated by Richard Burton. Section 5 When it was the sixth night, her sister Dunyazad said to her, Pray finish for us thy story. And she answered, I will, if the king give me leave. Say on, quoth the king. And she continued, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that when the fisherman said to the Ifrit, If thou hadst spared me, I would have spared thee, but nothing would satisfy thee save my death. So now I will do thee die by jailing thee in this jar, and I will hurl thee into this sea. Then the Marid roared aloud and cried, Allah upon thee, O fisherman, don't! Spare me, and pardon my past doings, and, as I have been tyrannous, so be thou generous. For it is said among sayings that go current, O thou who dost good to him who hath done thee evil, suffice for the ill-doer his ill-deeds, and do not deal with me as did Umama to Attika. Asked the fisherman, And what was their case? And the Ifrit answered, This is not the time for story-telling, and I in this prison, but set me free, and I will tell thee the tale. Quoth the fisherman, Leave this language. There is no help but that thou be thrown back into the sea, nor is there any way for thy getting out of it for ever and ever. Vainly I placed myself under thy protection, and I humbled myself to thee with weeping, while thou soughtest only to slay me, who hath done thee no injury deserving this at thy hands. Nay, so far from injuring thee by any evil act, I work thee naught but weal in releasing thee from that jail of thine. Now I knew thee to be an evil doer when thou didst to me what thou didst, and know that when I have cast thee back into the sea, I will warn whomsoever may fish thee up of what hath befallen me with thee, and I will advise him to toss thee back again. So shalt thou abide here under these waters till the end of time shall make an end of thee. But the Ifrit cried aloud, Set me free! This is a noble occasion for generosity, and I make covenant with thee, and vow never to do thee hurt and harm. Nay, I will help thee to what shall put thee out of want. The fisherman accepted his promises on both conditions, not to trouble him as before, but on the contrary to do him service, and, after making firm the plight, and swearing him a solemn oath by Allah Most Highest, he opened the cucurbit. Thereupon the pillar of smoke rose up till all of it was fully out. Then it thickened, and once more became an ifrit of hideous presence, who forthright administered a kick to the bottle, and sent it flying into the sea. The fisherman, seeing how the cucurbit was treated, and making sure of his own death, piddled in his clothes, and said to himself, This promiseth badly. But he fortified his heart, and cried, O Ifrit, Allah hath said, Perform your covenant, for the performance of your covenant shall be inquired into hereafter. 
thou hast made a vow to me, and hast sworn an oath not to play me false, lest Allah play thee false, for verily he is a jealous God, who respiteth the sinner, but letteth him not escape. I say to thee, as said the sage Duban to King Yunan, Spare me, so Allah may spare thee. The Ifrit burst into laughter, and stalked away, saying to the fisherman, Follow me. And the man paced after him at a safe distance, for he was not assured of escape, till they had passed round the suburbs of the city. Thence they struck into the uncultivated grounds, and crossing them descended into a broad wilderness, and lo, in the midst of it stood a mountain tarn. The Ifrit waded into the middle, and again cried, follow me. And when this was done, he took his stand in the centre, and bade the man cast his net and catch his fish. The fisherman looked into the water, and was much astonished to see therein vari-coloured fishes, white and red, blue and yellow. However, he cast his net, and hauling it in, saw that he had netted four fishes, one of each colour. Thereat he rejoiced greatly, and more when the Ifrit said to him, Carry these to the Sultan, and set them in his presence. Then he will give thee what shall make thee a wealthy man. And now accept my excuse, for by Allah at this time I wot none other way of benefiting thee, inasmuch as I have lain in this sea eighteen hundred years, and have not seen the face of the world, save within this hour. But I would not have thee fish here, save once a day. The Ifrit then gave him Godspeed, saying, Allah grant we meet again, and struck the earth with one foot, whereupon the ground clove asunder, and swallowed him up. The fisherman, much marvelling at what had happened to him with the Ifrit, took the fish, and made for the city. And as soon as he reached home, he filled an earthen bowl with water, and therein threw the fish, which began to struggle and wriggle about. Then he bore off the bowl upon his head, and repairing to the king's palace, even as the Ifrit had bidden him, laid the fish before the presence. And the king wondered with exceeding wonder at the sight, for never in his lifetime had he seen fishes like these in quality or in conformation. So he said, Give those fish to the stranger slave-girl who now cooketh for us, meaning the bond-maiden whom the king of Rum had sent to him only three days before, so that he had not yet made trial of her talents in the dressing of meat. Thereupon the wazir carried the fish to the cook, and bade her fry them, saying, O damsel, the king sendeth this say to thee, I have not treasured thee, O tear of me, save for stress time of me. Approve then to us this day thy delicate handiwork, and thy savoury cooking, for this dish of fish is a present sent to the sultan, and evidently a rarity. The wazir, after he had carefully charged her, returned to the king, who commanded him to give the fisherman four hundred dinars. He gave them accordingly, and the man took them to his bosom, and ran off home stumbling and falling and rising again, and deeming the whole thing to be a dream. However, he bought for his family all they wanted, and lastly he went to his wife in huge joy and gladness. So far concerning him. But as regards the cookmaid, she took the fish and cleansed them, and set them in the frying-pan, basting them with oil till one side was dressed. Then she turned them over, and behold, 
the kitchen wall crave asunder, and therefrom came a young lady, fair of form, oval of face, perfect in grace, with eyelids which coal lines in chase. Her dress was a silken headkerchief, fringed and tasselled with blue. A large ring hung from either ear. A pair of bracelets adorned her wrists. Rings with bezels of priceless gems were on her fingers, and she hent in hand a long rod of rattan cane, which she thrust into the frying-pan, saying, O fish, O fish, be ye constant to your covenant. When the cook-maiden saw this apparition, she swooned away. The young lady repeated her words a second time, and a third time, and at last the fishes raised their heads from the pan, and saying in articulate speech, Yes, yes, began with one voice to recite, Come back, and so will I, keep faith, and so will I, and if ye fain forsake, I'll requite till quits we cry. After this the young lady upset the frying-pan, and went forth by the way she came in, and the kitchen wall closed upon her. When the cook-maiden recovered from her fainting-fit, she saw the four fishes charred black as charcoal, and crying out, His staff break in his first bout, she again fell swooning to the ground. Whilst she was in this case, the wazir came for the fish, and looking upon her as insensible she lay, not knowing Sunday from Thursday, shoved her with his foot, and said, Bring the fish for the sultan. Thereupon, recovering from her fainting-fit, she wept, and informed him of her case, and all that had befallen her. The wazir marvelled greatly, and exclaiming, This is none other than a right strange matter, he sent after the fisherman, and said to him, Thou, O fisherman, must needs fetch us four fishes, like those thou broughtest before. Thereupon the man repaired to the tarn, and cast his net, and when he landed it, lo, four fishes were therein, exactly like the first. These he at once carried to the wazir, who went in with them to the cook-maiden, and said, Up with thee, and fry these in my presence, that I may see this business. The damsel arose, and cleansed the fish, and set them in the frying-pan over the fire. However, they remained there but a little while, ere the wall crave asunder, and the young lady appeared, clad as before, and holding in hand the wand which she again thrust into the frying-pan, saying, O fish, O fish, be ye constant to your olden covenant. And behold, the fish lifted their heads, and repeated, Yes, yes, and recited this couplet, Come back, and so will I, keep faith, and so will I, but if ye fain forsake, I'll requite till quits we cry. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of the day, and ceased saying her permitted say. When it was the seventh night, she continued, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that when the fishes spoke, and the young lady upset the frying-pan with her rod, and went forth by the way she came, and the wall closed up, the wazir cried out, This is a thing not to be hidden from the king. So he went, and told him what had happened, whereupon quoth the king, There is no help for it, but that I see this with mine own eyes. Then he sent for the fisherman, and commanded him to bring four other fish like the first, and to take with him three men as witnesses. The fisherman at once brought the fish, 
and the king, after ordering them to give him four hundred gold pieces, turned to the wazir and said, Up and fry me the fishes, here before me. The minister, replying, To hear is to obey, bade bring the frying-pan, threw therein the cleansed fish, and set it over the fire. When, lo, the wall crave asunder, and out burst a black slave like a huge rock or a remnant of the tribe Ad, bearing in hand a branch of a green tree, and he cried in loud and terrible tones, O fish, O fish, be ye all constant to your antique covenant? Whereupon the fishes lifted their heads from the frying-pan, and said, Yes, yes, we be true to our vow. And they again recited the couplet, Come back, and so will I, keep faith, and so will I, but if ye fain forsake, I'll requite till quits we cry. Then the huge blackamoor approached the frying-pan, and upset it with the branch, and went forth by the way he came in. When he vanished from their sight, the king inspected the fish, and finding them all charred black as charcoal, was utterly bewildered, and said to the wazir, Verily this is a matter whereanent silence cannot be kept, and as for the fishes, assuredly some marvellous adventure connects with them. So he bade bring the fisherman, and asked him, saying, Fie on thee, fellow, whence came these fishes? And he answered, From a tarn between four heights, lying behind this mountain which is in sight of thy city. Quoth the king, How many days march? Quoth he, O oh, our lord the sultan, a walk of half hour. The king wondered, and straightway ordering his men to march, and horsemen to mount, led off the fisherman, who went before as guide, privily damning the ifrit. They fared on till they had climbed the mountain, and descended unto a great desert, which they had never seen during all their lives. And the sultan and his merry men marvelled much at the wold set in the midst of four mountains, and the tarn and its fishes of four colours, red and white, yellow and blue. The king stood fixed to the spot in wonderment, and asked his troops and all present, Hath any one among you ever seen this piece of water before now? And all made answer, O king of the age, never did we set eyes upon it during all our days. They also questioned the oldest inhabitants they met, men well stricken in years, but they replied, each and every, A lakelet this we never saw in this place. Thereupon quoth the king, by Allah, I will neither return to my capital, nor sit upon the throne of my forebears, till I learn the truth about this tarn, and the fish therein. He then ordered his men to dismount and bivouac all around the mountain, which they did, and summoning his wazir, a minister of much experience, sagacious, of penetrating wit, and well versed in affairs, said to him, "'Tis in my mind to do a certain thing, whereof I will inform thee. My heart telleth me to fare forth alone this night, and root out the mystery of this tarn and its fishes. Do thou take thy seat at my tent-door, and say to the emirs and wazirs, the nabobs and the chamberlains, in fine, to all who ask thee, The sultan is ill at ease, and he hath ordered me to refuse all admittance.' and be careful thou let none know my design. And the wazir could not oppose him. 
Then the king changed his dress and ornaments, and slinging his sword over his shoulder, took a path which led up one of the mountains, and marched for the rest of the night till morning dawned. Nor did he cease wayfaring till the heat was too much for him. After his long walk he rested a while, and then resumed his march, and fared on through the second night till dawn when suddenly there appeared a black point in the far distance. Hereat he rejoiced, and said to himself, Haply some one here shall acquaint me with the mystery of the tarn and its fishes. Presently drawing near the dark object, he found it a palace built of swart stone plated with iron, and while one leaf of the gate stood wide open, the other was shut. The king's spirits rose high as he stood before the gate, and wrapped a light wrap, but hearing no answer, he knocked a second knock, and a third, yet there came no sign. Then he knocked his loudest, but still no answer. So he said, Doubtless tis empty. Thereupon he mustered up resolution, and boldly walked through the main gate into the great hall, and there cried out aloud, Hola, ye people of the palace! I am a stranger and a wayfarer. Have you aught here of victual? He repeated his cry a second time and a third, but still there came no reply. So, strengthening his heart and making up his mind, he stalked through the vestibule into the very middle of the palace, and found no man in it. Yet it was furnished with silken stuffs gold-starred, and the hangings were let down over the doorways. In the midst was a spacious court, off which set four open saloons, each with its raised dais, saloon facing saloon. A canopy shaded the court, and in the centre was a jetting fount with four figures of lions, made of red gold, spouting from their mouths water clear as pearls and diaphanous gems. Round about the palace birds were let loose, and over it stretched a net of golden wire, hindering them from flying off. In brief, there was everything but human beings. The king marvelled mightily thereat, yet felt he sad at heart, for that he saw no one to give him account of the waste and its tarn, the fishes, the mountains, and the palace itself. Presently, as he sat between the doors in deep thought, behold, there came a voice of lament, as from a heart grief spent, and he heard the voice chanting these verses. I hid what I endured of him, and yet it came to light, and nightly sleep mine eyelids fled, and changed to sleepless night. O world, O fate, withhold thy hand, and cease thy hurt and harm. Look and behold my hapless sprite, in colour and affright. Wilt ne'er show ruth to high-born youth, who lost him on the way, of love, and fell from wealth and fame, to lowest, basest white? Jealous of Zephyr's breath was I, as on your form he breathed, but when as destiny descends, she blindeth human sight. What shall the hapless archer do, who when he fronts his foe, and bends his bow to shoot the shaft, shall find his string undight? When cark and care so heavy bear on youth of generous soul, how shall he scape his lot, and where from fate his place of flight? Now when the sultan heard the mournful voice, he sprang to his feet, and following the sound found a curtain let down over a chamber door. 
he raised it and saw behind it a young man sitting upon a couch about a cubit above the ground and he fair to the sight a well-shaped white with eloquence dight his forehead was flower white his cheek rosy bright and a mole on his cheek breadth like an ambergris mite even as the poet doth indite a youth slim-waisted from whose locks and brow the world in blackness and in light is set throughout creation's round no fairer show no rarer sight thine eye hath ever met a nut-brown mole sits throned upon a cheek of rosiest red beneath an eye of jet the king rejoiced and saluted him but he remained sitting in his caftan of silken stuff pureed with egyptian gold and his crown studded with gems of sorts but his face was sad with the traces of sorrow he returned the royal salute in most courteous wise adding o my lord thy dignity demandeth my rising to thee and my sole excuse is to crave thy pardon quoth the king thou art excused o youth so look upon me as thy guest come hither on an especial object i would thou acquaint me with the secrets of this tarn and its fishes and of this palace and thy loneliness therein and the cause of thy groaning and wailing when the young man heard these words he wept with sore weeping till his bosom was drenched with tears and began reciting say him who careless sleeps what while the shaft of fortune flies how many doth this shifting world lay low and raise to rise although thine eye be sealed in sleep sleep not the almighty's eyes and who hath found time ever fair or fate in constant guise then he sighed a long-fetched sigh and recited confide thy case to him the lord who made mankind quit cark and care and cultivate content of mind ask not the past or how or why it came to pass all human things by fate and destiny were designed the king marvelled and asked him what maketh thee weep o young man and he answered how should i not weep when this is my case thereupon he put out his hand and raised the skirt of his garment when lo the lower half of him appeared stone down to his feet while from his navel to the hair of his head he was man the king seeing this his plight grieved with sore grief and of his compassion cried alack and well away in very sooth o youth thou heapest sorrow upon my sorrow i was minded to ask thee the mystery of the fishes only whereas now i am concerned to learn thy story as well as theirs but there is no majesty and there is no might save in allah the glorious the great lose no time o youth but tell me forthright thy whole tale quoth he lend me thine ears thy sight and thine insight and quoth the king all are at thy service thereupon the youth began right wondrous and marvellous is my case and that of these fishes and were it graven with gravers upon the eye-corners, it were a warner to whoso would be warned. "'How is that?' asked the king. And the young man began to tell the tale of the ensorcelled prince. "'Know then, O my lord, that while on my sire was king of this city, and his name was Mahmud, entitled Lord of the Black Islands, 
and owner of what are now these four mountains. He ruled threescore and ten years, after which he went to the mercy of the Lord, and I reigned as sultan in his stead. I took to wife my cousin, the daughter of my paternal uncle, and she loved me with such abounding love, that whenever I was absent she ate not, and she drank not, until she saw me again. She cohabited with me for five years, till a certain day, when she went forth to the Hammam bath, and I bade the cook hasten to get ready all requisites for our supper. And I entered this palace, and lay down on the bed where I was wont to sleep, and bade two damsels to fan my face, one sitting by my head, and the other at my feet. But I was troubled and made restless by my wife's absence, and could not sleep, for although my eyes were closed, my mind and thoughts were wide awake. Presently I heard the slave-girl at my head say to her at my feet, O Mas'uda, how miserable is our master, and how wasted in his youth, and oh, the pity of his being so betrayed by our mistress, the accursed whore! The other replied, Yes, indeed, Allah curse all faithless women and adulterous. But the like of our master, with his fair gifts, deserveth something better than this harlot, who lieth abroad every night. Then quoth she, who sat by my head, is our lord dumb, or fit only for bubbling, that he questioneth her not? And quoth the other, Fie on thee! Doth our lord know her ways, or doth she allow him his choice? Nay more, doth she not drug every night the cup she giveth him to drink before sleep-time, and put pung into it? So he sleepeth, and wotteth not whither she goeth, nor what she doth. But we know that after giving him the drugged wine, she donneth her richest raiment, and perfumeth herself, and then she fareth out from him to be away till the break of day. Then she cometh to him, and burneth a pastile under his nose, and he awaketh from his death-like sleep. When I heard the slave-girl's words, the light became black before my sight, and I thought night would never fall. Presently the daughter of my uncle came from the baths, and they set the table for us, and we ate and sat together for a fair half-hour, quaffing our wine as was ever our wont. Then she called for the particular wine I used to drink before sleeping, and reached me the cup, but seeming to drink it according to my wont, I poured the contents into my bosom, and lying down, let her hear that I was asleep. Then, behold, she cried, Sleep out the night, and never wake again. By Allah, I loathe thee, and I loathe thy whole body, and my soul turneth in disgust from cohabiting with thee, and I see not the moment when Allah shall snatch away thy life. Then she rose, and donned her fairest dress, and perfumed her person, and slung my sword over her shoulder, and opening the gates of the palace, went her ill way. I rose and followed her as she left the palace, and she threaded the streets until she came to the city gate, where she spoke words I understood not, and the padlocks dropped of themselves, as if broken, and the gate leaves opened. She went forth, and I after her without her noticing aught, till she came at last to the outlying mounds, and a reed fence built about a round roofed hut of mud bricks. As she entered the door, I climbed up upon the roof, which commanded a view of the interior. And, lo, my fair cousin had gone in to a hideous negro slave, with his upper lip like the cover of a pot, 
and his lower like an open pot, lips which might sweep up sand from the gravel floor of the cot. He was to boot a leper and a paralytic, lying upon a strew of sugar-cane trash, and wrapped in an old blanket, and the foulest rags and tatters. She kissed the earth before him, and he raised his head so as to see her, and said, Woe to thee! What call hadst thou to stay away all this time? Here have been with me sundry of the black brethren, who drank their wine, and each had his young lady, and I was not content to drink because of thine absence. Then she, O oh my lord, my heart's love, and coolth of my eyes, knowest thou not that I am married to my cousin, whose very look I loathe, and hate myself when in his company, and did not I fear for thy sake I would not let a single sun arise before making his city a ruined heap, wherein raven should croak, and howlet hoot, and jackal and wolf harbour and loot. Nay, I had removed its very stones to the back side of Mount Calf. Rejoined the slave, Thou liest, damn thee! Now I swear an oath by the valour and honour of Blackamoor men, and deem not our manliness to be the poor manliness of white men. From to-day forth, if thou stay away till this hour, I will not keep company with thee, nor will I glue my body with thy body, and strum and belly-bump. Dost play fast and loose with us, thou cracked pot, that we may satisfy thy dirty lusts, stinkard, bitch, vilest of the vile whites. When I heard his words, and saw with mine own eyes what passed between these two wretches, the world waxed dark before my face, and my soul knew not in what place it was. But my wife humbly stood up, weeping before, and wheedling the slave, and saying, O oh, my beloved, and the very fruit of my heart, there is none left to cheer me but thy dear self, and if thou cast me off, who shall take me in? O oh, my beloved, O oh, light of my eyes! And she ceased not weeping and abasing herself to him, until he deigned be reconciled with her. Then was she right glad, and stood up and doffed her clothes, even to her petticoat trousers, and said, O my master, what hast thou here for thy handmaiden to eat? Uncover the basin, he grumbled, and thou shalt find at the bottom the broiled bones of some rats we dined on. Pick at them, and then go to that slop-pot, where thou shalt find some leavings of beer, which thou mayst drink. So she ate and drank and washed her hands, and went and laid down by the side of the slave, upon the cane-trash, and stripping herself stark naked, she crept in with him under his foul coverlet, and his rags and tatters. When I saw my wife, my cousin, the daughter of my uncle, do this deed, I clean lost my wits, and climbing down from the roof, I entered and took the sword which she had with her, and drew it, determined to cut down the twain. I first struck at the slave's neck, and thought that the death decree had fallen on him. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of the day, and ceased to say her permitted say. When it was the eighth night, she continued, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that the young ensorcelled prince said to the king, When I smote the slave with intent to strike off his head, I thought that I had slain him, for he groaned a loud hissing groan, but I had cut only the skin and flesh of the gullet, and the two arteries. It awoke the daughter of my uncle, so I sheathed the sword, and fared forth for the city.' 
and entering the palace lay upon my bed and slept till morning when my wife aroused me and i saw that she had cut off her hair and had donned mourning garments quoth she o son of my uncle blame me not for what i do it hath just reached me that my mother is dead and my father hath been killed in holy war and of my brothers one hath lost his life by a snake's sting and the other by falling down some precipice and i can and should do naught save weep and lament when i heard her words i refrained from all reproach and said only do as thou list i certainly will not thwart thee she continued sorrowing weeping and wailing one whole year from the beginning of its circle to the end and when it was finished she said to me i wish to build me in thy palace a tomb with a cupola which i will set apart for my mourning and will name the house of lamentations quoth i again do as thou list then she builded for herself a cenotaph wherein to mourn and set on its centre a dome under which showed a tomb like a santon's sepulchre thither she carried the slave and lodged him but he was exceeding weak by reason of his wound and unable to do her love service he could only drink wine and from the day of his hurt he spake not a word yet he lived on because his appointed hour was not come every day morning and evening my wife went to him and wept and wailed over him and gave him wine and strong soups and left not off doing after this manner a second year and i bore with her patiently and paid no heed to her one day however i went in to her unawares and i found her weeping and beating her face and crying why art thou absent from my sight o my heart's delight speak to me o my life talk with me o my love then she recited these verses for your love my patience fails and albeit you forget i may not nor to other love my heart can make reply bear my body bear my soul wheresoever you may fare and where you pitch the camp let my body buried lie cry my name above my grave and an answer shall return the moaning of my bones responsive to your cry then she recited weeping bitterly the while the day of my delight is the day when draw you near and the day of mine affright is the day you turn away though i tremble through the night in my bitter dread of death when i hold you in my arms i am free from all affray once more she began reciting though a morn i may awake with all happiness in hand though the world all be mine and like kisra kings i reign to me they had the worth of the winglet of the gnat when i fail to see thy form when i look for thee in vain when she had ended for a time her words and her weeping i said to her o oh, my cousin let this thy mourning suffice for in pouring forth tears there is little profit thwart me not answered she in aught i do or i will lay violent hands on myself so i held my peace and left her to go her own way and she ceased not to cry and keen and indulge her affliction for yet another year at the end of the third year i waxed aweary of this lonesome morning and one day i happened to enter the cenotaph when vexed and angry with some matter which had thwarted me and suddenly i heard her say o oh my lord i never hear thee vouchsafe a single word to me 
Why dost thou not answer me, O my master? And she began reciting, O thou tomb, O thou tomb, be his beauty set in shade? Hast thou darkened that countenance, all sheeny as the noon? O thou tomb, neither earth nor yet heaven art to me. Then how cometh it in thee are conjoined my sun and moon? When I heard such verses as these, rage was heaped upon rage, and I cried out, Well away, how long is this sorrow to last? And I began repeating, O thou tomb, O thou tomb, be his horrors set in blight? Hast thou darkened his countenance that sickeneth the soul? O thou tomb, neither cesspool now pipkin art to me, then how cometh it in thee are conjoined soil and coal? When she heard my words, she sprang to her feet, crying, Fire upon thee, thou cur! All this is of thy doings. Thou hast wounded my heart's darling, and thereby worked me sore woe, and thou hast wasted his youth, so that these three years he hath lain abed more dead than alive. In my wrath I cried, O thou foulest of harlots, and filthiest of whores ever futtered by negro slaves, who are hired to have at thee! Yes, indeed, it was I who did this good deed, and snatching up my sword I drew it, and made it her to cut her down. But she laughed at my words, and mine intent to scorn, crying, To heal, hound that thou art! Alas for the past, which shall no more come to pass, nor shall any one avail the dead to raise! Allah hath indeed now given into my hand him who did to me this thing, a deed that hath burned my heart with a fire which died not, and a flame which might not be quenched. Then she stood up, and pronouncing some words to me unintelligible, she said, By virtue of my necromancy, become thou half stone and half man, whereupon I became what thou seest, unable to rise or to sit, and neither dead nor alive. Moreover, she ensorcelled the city with all its streets and garths, and she turned by her grammary the four islands into four mountains around the tarn whereof thou questionest me, and the citizens who were of four different faiths, Moslem, Nazarene, Jew, and Magian, she transformed by her enchantments into fishes. The Moslems are the white, the Magians red, the Christians blue, and the Jews yellow and every day she tortureth me, and scourgeth me with a hundred stripes, each of which draweth floods of blood, and cutteth the skin of my shoulders to strips. And lastly she clotheth my upper half with a hair-cloth, and then throweth over them these robes. Hereupon the young man again shed tears, and began reciting, In patience, O my God, I endure my lot and fate. I will bear at will of thee whatsoever be my state. They oppress me, they torture me, they make my life a woe, yet haply heaven's happiness shall compensate my strait. Yea, straitened is my life by the bane and hate of foes, but Mustafa and Murtaza shall ope me heaven's gate. End of section 5 of the Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night Volume 1